If you love how Dan Rather unravels amazing true stories, you gotta check out Music's Greatest Mysteries. That podcast will really get you thinking. Hey there. Welcome to Dan Rather's The Big Interview, the podcast for music lovers. Full of thought-provoking interviews and conversations like you've never heard before with some of the biggest names in the biz. Each episode will bring you exclusive in-depth interviews from your favorite artists, from classic rock and country to timeless music everyone enjoys. We cover it all right here on Dan Rather's The Big Interview. So sit back and enjoy these magnificent stories from the artists that lived it. Here's your host, Dan Rather. Tonight on The Big Interview. She is one of the leading ladies of country music. Tricia Yearwood. Singing is what feeds my soul. I mean, I feel like I was, I don't feel like I ever chose to be a singer. I felt like that's just what I was, and I had to figure out a way to do it. Tricia Yearwood is a singing superstar with down-home charm, who has now whipped up a surprising second career. It's pretty to see all the layers. Do you sing while you cook? I mean, making, let's say, biscuits from scratch, one yeah. of my favorites. Those but are good. Are you singing to yourself? We play a lot of music um, in the house. This is looking good. I think sometimes when friends are over and, and we're just singing, they're like, that is so weird that you guys are just singing. Just a little while into Award-winning vocalist Tricia Yearwood on music, family, and living life on her own terms. Tonight, on The Big Interview. Tricia Yearwood exploded on the country music scene as one of the signature voices of her generation. And the Grammy goes to Trisha Yearwood, How Do I Live? It all started with her self-titled 1991 record, Trisha Yearwood, which made the young singer from Georgia with the big voice the first female country artist to sell a million copies of a debut album. The record included four top 10 hits on the country music charts, including the number one, She's in Love with the Boy. These days, the boy she's in love with is none other than fellow country superstar Garth Brooks, her husband of nearly a decade. The two first crossed paths in Nashville in the 1980s when Yearwood sang backup for an up-and-coming Brooks. He was impressed and promised to help her get a record deal if his career took off. Needless to say, it did, and so did Yearwood's. The numbers speak for themselves. 12 million records sold, and countless awards, including three Grammys and three Country Music Awards. They say you're done, but here you come. Now, after a seven-year hiatus, 
Trisha Yearwood has returned with a new album and a worldwide concert tour with her husband. Her strong and confident country voice hasn't skipped a beat. But Yearwood says she's learned to carve out a career that puts family ahead of fame. Well, first of all, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, it's my honor to be I here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Well, you have a new album out. Tell me about that. Um, it's called Prize Fighter. It's, it's sort of a greatest hits album. Um, and usually a greatest hits album has a couple of new songs that you hope will be hits. Um, we put six new songs on this album because I haven't had an album out in seven years. I've been, I've been home in Oklahoma um, raising girls, but also um, working on this cooking show that I'm more surprised than anyone that I'm, that I'm talking about having that because it really came out of just my love to cook. I never dreamed I'd have a show. Um, and so music kind of went to the back burner, um, no pun intended, during that time. And um, so since it's been a while, I wanted to kind of have a retrospective of where I've been and then and six new songs. So I'm excited about it because I love to cook, um, but singing is what feeds my soul. I mean, I feel like I was, I don't feel like I ever chose to be a singer. I felt like that's just what I was and I had to figure out a way to do it. Singing feeds your soul. When did you first become aware of that? Really as a little bitty girl, I remember um, my parents loved music. We, we weren't the singing yearwoods or anything, but they had a really healthy love of music. And my dad really loved country music. He loved Hank Williams and George Jones and Merle Haggard, Patsy Cline. So I, I heard that music early on. And my first memory of uh, listening to music was as about five or six years old. And I had a neighbor who knew that I loved music and she would give me um, old LPs of hers and most of them were Elvis. And when I heard his voice, I remember even as a little girl just being mesmerized by his voice, not really knowing why, but just, uh, you know, of course he was beautiful, but at, but at that age it was really about the voice and I was just hearing these, the cry in his voice and the emotion and he just, I just loved him and I thought, that's what I want to do. A lot of singers write songs, but you don't write many songs. Right. I, I'm, I think I'm smart. <laughs> Again, I, you know, I say if I'm good at it, if it comes easily to me, I'll do it. Writing is one of those things that um, I think I have potential as a writer. Um, my husband would say, don't say you're not a writer, you know, because he and I wrote a song together actually that was on the album that he did, the, the Chris Gaines Project, but it was a conversation. I'm not really good with rhyme. I think I'm good with telling a story. I wrote, I wrote all the, the, every word in the cookbooks I wrote. So I can tell a story, but I'm not so great with rhyme. So we wrote a song called Main Street and he said, tell me about growing up in your small town. And so we had a conversation and then he took that conversation and made it rhyme and he said, this is what you just wrote. I thought, oh, that's, that's really awesome. But for me, um, I have, I, my background as a singer um, was a session singer for a lot of writers and publishers. So I know a lot of really great writers. And, you know, songs like Walk Away Joe and She's in Love with a Boy, so, the song I remembers when. If I could write something like that, I would record it, you know. But so far, <laughs> I've got a lot of bad poetry from high school. So it's not gonna, you're not gonna hear it. <laughs> well, you recorded so many songs over the years. In your own heart of hearts, what's your favorite song of the songs you've done? That's a tough question. I think the song that pops into my head is, is the song Remembers When. It was written by a man named Hugh Prestwood. Um, and it, it, it's a story, but it talks about the power of music. And it's kind of that story about how you can be in your car and not thinking about anything and a song comes on the radio and it takes you right back to a memory that you didn't even remember that you had. You know, that's that 
that that's the power of music. I think that that song probably is the one that kind of sums it up. And there was a God in heaven, and the world made perfect sense. We were young and were in love, and we were easy to convince. We were headed straight for Eden. It was just around the bend. And though I had forgotten all about the song. Do you recall the first song that you remembered? You talked about you were interested in singing at a very early age. There was a there was a um, an artist named um, Johnny Burnett, who was kind of a '50s '60s guy, and he had a song called uh, "You're 16." I had the 45, and uh, I played it over and over and over. You're 16. You're beautiful, and you're mine. It was like a. It was just this really. It was just this ditty. But he had a catch in his voice, kind of like Elvis. And uh, I, I remember hearing that, and just I'm sure my mother and father over and over and over again. You know, just crazy. Well, you mentioned that you now do this cooking show on cable, and you said it surprised you. Yeah. Well, tell me about that. How did that happen? I was actually meeting in New York with some publishers that wanted to do an autobiography and I just wasn't interested. I said, first of all, I probably will never tell all the great stories that people really want to hear and second of all, maybe when I'm 80, maybe, but I don't even, I'm not ready. And so they said, well, what do you like? What would you be interested in writing about? I said, well, I like to cook. I mean, it really came up in a meeting. I volunteered my mom and my sister to write this book in this meeting and then I called them when I got home and I said, um, we're writing a book. You know, it was really that, that's how it came about. But it was great because I could work on it when the girls went to bed at night on the computer. Um, a lot of our recipes were in shoeboxes that, you know, my mom had written on a napkin or a lot of the recipes were in her head, you know, never written down recipes right. like her mom's cornbread dressing that we make every Thanksgiving was just until it looks right or you cook fried chicken until it sounds right, you know, which, which anyone who cooks gets that. But I said, you can't write that in a book. People won't understand what that means. Um, and it was wonderful for us to work on together. Um, and it became a New York Times bestseller. So, I mean, no one was more shocked than me. It came out of something we really do and love to do. And then a second book came that did better than the first. And then the thought of a, a show came up. And um, I, I said, I really don't think that would be fun. Like, I don't know if standing behind a kitchen counter and saying, now you add the butter is really what I want to do. And when the producers said, it can be whatever you want. And I said, well, I'd love to have my sister um, on the show or my, my best friends. I do better if I can interact with somebody. And so what we really did were we brought those stories that are in the books. We just gave them life. We brought them to life. And so we tell those stories on the show. This is going to foam up. So if this happens, this is the right thing. You want this to happen. Don't panic. Don't panic. We have a lot of fun. I'm not a chef. I'm a home cook. So I make mistakes. And we show those mistakes. We show the outtakes. I love the sweet of the sugared almonds with the crunch of the mandarin oranges. If your mandarin oranges are crunchy, you need to get a new can. <laughs> And uh, I think people who cook relate to it because that's the way most people cook. You know, it's not, we're not, we don't do anything fancy. Our exotic spices are salt and pepper. Salt brings out all the flavors of everything you're cooking. So in this particular dish, it'll bring out the flavor of this pudding. It'll bring out the flavor of the banana. And that flour we put in there will thicken it. It takes about 10 to 12 minutes depending on your stove top. And we just want a nice thick custard like that. It's just really, that's ready. It's actually ready. You're listening to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. We'll be back with Trisha Yearwood.
Welcome back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Today's guest is Trisha Yearwood. I'm starting with a chocolate mixture that's gonna go into this awesome chocolate cake. And I've put a half a cup of sugar and a cup of water in here. I'm gonna to add to it four unsweetened chocolate squares. Trisha Yearwood's cooking show grew out of her pair of New York Times bestselling cookbooks, which focused on authentic Southern cooking like jalapeno hush puppies, sweet potato souffle, and her grandmother's coconut cake. Yearwood wanted to make the books very personal Many of the recipes are accompanied by a story of the person or place that inspired it. You've done two cookbooks. I've done two. Got a third one coming. Uh, it's called Trisha's Table, and it still has all the comfort foods in it, you know. But it's kind of more the way we really eat, you know. I, in people always say, "Well, how can you make that food and not gain weight?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't eat fried chicken every day, you know. You have the you have the fried chicken, and then the next day you have a grape, and it all evens out, you know. But that's not the way we eat every day. So this book is really more probably how we eat more of the time. Um, and then on the comfort foods, there are some things you just can't, you shouldn't substitute something like low-fat milk in. You should just say, I'm having the macaroni and cheese today and I'm gonna enjoy it. But then the rest of the time, there's, there's, we show you ways to make things lighter. And there are a lot of, um, there's some vegetarian things in there that we, that we eat that we love. Um, and some lower, lower calorie things that are still good. And we didn't wanna put anything in the, in the book that is good for being low-fat. We want it just to be good, you know? So we worked really hard to, to, to put the things in that we eat, that we love, that we don't feel like we're sacrificing anything. Do you sing while you cook? I mean, when you're at home, you're, you're making, let's say, biscuits from scratch. One yeah. of my favorites. <laughs> Those but, are good. <laughs> are you singing to yourself? Um, sometimes, you know, we, we play a lot of music in the house. Um, because I live in a, in a musical house, and, and Garth is more, um, is more of a, probably a little bit more of a free spirit than me. He's a little bit more, um, like, we, we've had to compromise a little bit. I wake up in the morning, and I like to have a little coffee ease into my day. He wakes up like a puppy, you know. He's been he's slept really hard, and he wakes up and he's ready, you know. He's like he hits the floor running. So if if he had his way, when I walked into the kitchen, bleary had to have that cup of coffee. There would be something like Queen playing at a level that you could not, you know. But he knows that I'm I need a little coffee first, so it's it's here. So we play a lot of music um, in the house, um, and it's natural that because we both sing that we we will fall into that. Um, I don't think it's a conscious thing. I think sometimes when friends are over and, and we're just singing, they're like, that is so weird that you guys are just singing. But, but we do, but, um, but it's, not, it's not all the time and it's not really conscious. How does it work in a household where you have two superstars? I mean, Garth Brooks is a superstar himself, but you were a superstar before you met Garth Brooks, certainly before well, you nice married him. that's a nice thing to say. So how does it work in a household? I, frankly, it's hard for me to imagine how two people who've reached the pinnacle of their profession as you have can make it under one roof <laughs> well we are both um, driven and we are both sort of type A personalities so that that sometimes is a little bit of that you know but we both love each other I mean we really are truly best friends and so we have probably in our lives before being together even though we were both married before we did what we wanted. We were very alpha, we were very, this is the way it's gonna be, and if you're gonna be with me, you're gonna just have to follow what I'm doing. And now that we're in a relationship where we truly wanna make the other one happy, there's sacrifice, and that's hard for type A people, you know, to make sacrifice. We're used to everybody else falling in line. Um, but we, but we, we do it well. I mean, we, we both were raised in families that were very much about family. So we, you know, for him to make that 
the, the conscious choice to, to really walk away from his career to raise his children. Um, he gets a lot of, for him it was, um, it, was, it was an obvious choice, but for someone who entertaining is your life, it's, it's not an easy decision to make. For me to say, um, I, I'm, I'm not retired, I'm a touring artist, but we're a couple and we made a decision that we didn't want to be together to be apart, so I cut my touring dates back dramatically to be with him. What's the worst things that ever happened to you? Losing my parents, definitely. Um, I'm a family person, and I know it's the natural order of things, but um, that was hard. We were really, really close, and I feel them with me everywhere. But um, but that was tough. There's you know there's just there there are those people in your life. My sister's here. She's we're, we're the last men standing. I always say, we say, you're my person. You know, she's my person, I'm her person. Because there's nobody else in your life that has that unique experience. No matter how much you love someone, your, your husband, no matter how much you love your friends, there is a bond with family that is like no other. And they were, they were the most fantastic role models, friends, parents. We were the kids who liked to go hang with our parents. You know, we were the kids who on vacation, we, we loved to, we weren't trying to ditch our parents. We, we loved to hang with them. And especially the older that we got, um, they were both really good cooks. So since their passing, um, my dad passed right before we wrote that first book. So it was kind of good for us. My mom got a ch chance to, it gave her something to do. And we honored him a lot. He was in that book a lot. And then she passed three years ago and the show for my sister and I has been a really great way to keep her with us. You know, to we those recipes were her, and every time you make her potato salad or whatever the dish is, you she's there. You know, so um, but hands down, um, I can't I've I can't explain that kind of loss, and I can't I can't think of anything you know that that has happened to me that would that that was that hard. And I know it's I know I know I'm not unique. I know that happens to all of us, um, but it's just it was just hard. And what's the best thing that's happened to you in your life? Um, I would say, I would say Garth, really, because I, I thought I was happy before, um, but I think I settled a lot in my life for, um, because I just didn't know. It, it's not a diss to anyone I was with before. It's it's just that I didn't know this existed. It's wonderful to be with somebody who you have. A great friendship with who really is your friend who will tell you as your friend this is what I think it's also wonderful that we do share the same career because we talk about our careers in a way that we understand what the other one's going through so there is a, there is really a great a greatness in that it's good for us that we do the same thing because there's an understanding of what the other one does and we're crazy about each other you know so so I I don't you know, I hear people talk about how you know, I really love. I really love it when my husband goes on the road because I, you know, I get some, And I, I like my my time. I love to sit with a book and read and, and have coffee. But I love that he's in the other room, checking his email or whatever. I mean, it's like we just we enjoy each other's company. So, it's truly made everything elevated everything in my life to to a better place.
You're listening to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. We'll be back with Trisha Yearwood. Welcome back to Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Today's guest is Trisha Yearwood. That boy is just a walk away dream. Born to be a leaver, tell you from the word. Destined to deceive her, he's a wrong kind of paradise. She's gonna know it in a matter of time. That boy is just a walk away dream. Trisha Yearwood says she always knew she wanted a career in music. She spent her childhood singing in school musicals and her church choir. So when Yearwood graduated from high school, she had some big decisions to make. I really wanted to just go to Nashville and, you know, I'm 18, I want to be a singer. But I grew up in a house uh, that where education was not an option. You know, it wasn't like, will you go to college? It's like, yeah. where will you go? So I had heard about Belmont College in Nashville. And I decided that that's where I needed to be. And I wanted to finish school and I wanted to be in Nashville. And if I got accepted into Belmont, I was going. So I graduated with a degree in business with a concentration in music business. I was in the town that I felt like I needed to be in for what I wanted to do. Ultimately introduced me to some of the writers that um, ended up getting me session work in town as a demo singer, which is what ultimately helped me really be discovered, even though I didn't know it at the time that that was gonna be my path. And it turned out to be the best decision I made. I was, I was, I had that moment that we all have, but I luckily was 19 or 20 that I thought, if I don't try it, mm -hmm. then I'll, I'll get to wake up at 40 and wonder what it might have been like. And I don't, wanna, I don't wanna know what might have been. That would have been the biggest regret of my life. You wound up with a business degree. Did it help you in any way in the music business once you got into it? Well, I mean, nobody's ever asked me to, to see my diploma to give me a record deal, you know, but, um, but I do think um, especially early on, you know, that first impression that you make with somebody, the first meetings that I had with record labels, um, because, I, because my degree is actually in business, but it's a concentration in music business, so I took classes like artist management, concert promotion, and all of the, everything that you would do as an artist. And so I had a little bit of knowledge about everything, not very much, but enough to, to carry on a conversation where they thought I knew what I was talking about. So I felt like I entered into my career with a, at least the perception that I, that I kind of knew the business and I knew just enough to, to have a conversation and, and, th and that, that's how, you know, that's how you're looked upon for your whole career, you know, so it helped me, it definitely helped me a lot in the beginning and I also really love to be able to tell young girls who come up to me and say, I want to do what you do, you know, what should I do? I love to tell them, get your education because I did, you know, I, I think if I, if I hadn't graduated from college, it, it would be hard for me to tell them to go to college. Um, and now that I have my own children, and our youngest is a singer and a writer, um, it's, it's great that I can say, you can do all that, but you need to get your education. You care about your music. You care about your family and your marriage. What else do you care about? What other passions do you have? Your passion for politics, passion for foreign policy? No, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I know, I know just enough about politics to get mad, but I don't really know why. You know what I mean? It's like, a, I, really, I, I really need to have that politics for dummies lesson, you know, because I, I've always said I'm not political because I don't feel like it's an artist's place to be political, but sometimes I feel like that's just an excuse for not getting involved. So I'm passionate about 
you, you said it, I mean, music and family. Um, I, I love to do things that are charity-based that I can physically do. I'm, I'm, I'm big into Habitat for Humanity because I, like I like to swing a hammer. It might just be taking out aggression, but I love to, I love that organization because they, um, they're a, they, their slogan is a hand up, not a hand out, and they really do. You, you build alongside the, the homeowner. They put in their own sweat equity. Um, but I've learned how to frame a wall. I know how to lay concrete. I know how to I know how to do every job there is. The only thing I haven't done is roofed, but just because I don't want to get on top of the house. Um, and I like that it's a way to give back that really gets your hands dirty. I've been inspired by we've done several of the bills with the Carters. We just did one this past year in Texas with President Carter and Miss Rosalind, and you know he's 90. And he, you know, it starts to rain and all of the builders are going in to, sh to get cover and he's out there with a slicker on, hammering nails on the side, you know, and somebody who'd never worked with him before said, President Carter's out there in the rain. I said, this is your first bill with him, isn't it? You know, he, he sets the tone, you know, he, and he's an example to me of, um, you know, what he's done since his presidency is probably a bigger legacy than anything he did in office. And he's a, He's such a wonderful man and an inspiring man and leads by example. And if he walks by you on a bill site and you're not doing something, it's, you know, he will say, do you need something to do? You know, like, no, sir, Mr. Carter, I have, I have something to do right here. You know, he's, so, so I, love, I love doing, I'm passionate about that. I want to get back, you were kind enough to say, what was the worst time in your life, worst thing that happened to you and the best thing? And what have you learned from the worst thing that happened to you and the best things happened to you that you carry forward each day or each week in your life as you move forward? You know, I, I turned 50 um, in September. I think that the life lessons for me are that some of those are things that just happen as we age and, and life happens to us. You know, you when you've been through something as profound as losing a parent, someone that, you, you know, is, is everything to you, it makes you value, it just makes you value everything more. I still stress over petty things sometimes, but I think I think more often I try to wake up and appreciate the day. And with the best thing that's happened to me is, is the same thing, is that life is short. You don't want to waste time spending it with anybody, friend or, or, or partner, that, that, that doesn't make your life better. Life is too short, you know. Did you dread turning 50? Big thing for you? Um, I didn't. I mean, I, I remember when I turned 40, all of my friends who turned 40 that year were like, how is 40? You know, and being married to Garth, he makes everything a party. Like, he's the party. He walks in the room and he's the party. So turning 40 was like this amazing birthday party when I, I was embarrassed to tell my friends how incredible it was because he made it that way. So I knew 50 was going to probably be insane, and it has been. Um, it's continuing. I'm, I mean, I've been 50 for months now, and it's still happening. Um, he, you know, I, we actually were in Atlanta, my home state of Georgia, when I turned on my birthday. And so I had everything from a four-foot birthday cake that came up through the, to the bottom of the stage to my friend Kelly Clarkson, who sang on my new record, come out and sing with me. To I'm a big Atlanta Braves fan. All this signed Atlanta Braves gear. I mean, it was like this crazy craziness. Um, and then um, my dream car when I was a kid was a Mustang, and I had a 66 Mustang when I was 16 that was really a, sounds fancy, but it was really parked on the side of the road more than it ran. But I, so I had to sell it when I went to college. And, uh, 
And so this year for the 50th anniversary of Mustang, they made a few, they made like 1964 of these commemorative cars and I got one for my birthday. So, and I'm really not a car girl, but I love that car. Um, and it goes really fast. So that was, that was one of his gifts. Um, he also, um, for my birthday, my sister, um, She's the quieter, more shy, um, better version of me, <laughs> I say. Uh, there's a song on this new record called I Remember You, and it's very much about my mom. Uh, and it was an emotional song to sing. And uh, so for my birthday, Garth flew her to Nashville from Georgia to sing harmony on this song, and then flew her home without my knowing it, and then um, said, you need to listen to the mix of this record. And when I listened to it, I heard her voice. I knew it was her voice but I couldn't figure out how it was her voice. And then of course when I realized it was her, I was a puddle in the floor. Um, but it was like, that's a gift you can give somebody that, I mean, that's the most amazing gift I can think of. Um, so he's that guy. So, so he makes turning an age that's supposed to be some big milestone, not a big deal. Um, my, I don't love that my body knows it's 50, but when here I'm still kind of 18, so it's all good, it's all good. Not a touch that I would It's supposed to hurt as bad as this Got your number at my fingertips But I'm not supposed to call you I want to go back to talking about men in your life. We've talked about Garth Brooks. You sang with Pavarotti? I did. Tell me about that. You know, you as a little girl, you have these, you have these goals, you know. And I, I knew I wanted to be a singer. I knew I wanted to be a member of the Grand Ole Opry. I knew I, I saw myself on stage singing, performing, touring. I never even would have dreamed to put Pavarotti on the list. You know, it was one of those things that you just would never think would happen to you. Pavarotti did for many years a benefit for the War Children of Liberia, and it was in Modena, Italy, his hometown. And I got invited. And it was '98 or '99 to go and sing with him. And you just don't say no. I mean, it was like, okay. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. And I, rem I remember singing with Pavarotti, saying to myself, remember this moment, you are singing with Pavarotti right now. It was an amazing experience, and he was charming. And um, in Italy, you know, everything's very, uh, you know, kind of relaxed. So rehearsals would be at six, but you probably wouldn't rehearse till nine or ten. And then you would all go to dinner at two in the morning and eat pasta, you know, and then you'd go to bed. It was just like, it was, uh, it was amazing. Well, uh, what a story, Pavarotti. He writes you and says, "Will you come to Italy and take part in this benefit?" Yeah, and and it was me and you know, Stevie Wonder and the Spice Girls and Prince Andrew and uh, Vanessa Williams sang John Bon Jovi. It was like this eclectic group Pretty high of artists. for a girl from Georgia. Exactly. I mean, it was like, I'm like, are you sure you meant to call me, <laughs> you know? But it was, it was amazing. 
Johnny Cash, he's been in your past. I remember the first time that I, that I met Johnny Cash, I was playing at the Grand Ole Opry and he was playing the Grand Ole Opry. And just the man in black, all in black, walking backstage. And I passed him in the hall and he said, he said, hi, Tricia. And I just thought, how in the world does Johnny Cash know my name? You know, it was that, that kind of thing. Because it was early on in my career. It was about 92. And, uh, and then uh, during those years, everybody played Branson, Missouri. You know, that Branson was this big um, place where everybody went to play music. And a lot of artists who, who were older artists would, would open a theater there and play there for years. And people would, it was like a destination for fans yeah, to go. A lot of people don't know that. Branson was kind of a southern Las Vegas. Absolutely. That's a great way to describe it. But then younger artists would kind of go and do a night there. So I was going to play Branson, and I was doing an interview. And the interviewer said, uh, well, you know, you're playing Branson where all these legends are playing down the street from you. And he said, what makes you think people are going to want to go see you when there's like Johnny Cash and Glenn Campbell? And I thought for a second, and I said, I said, well, I don't know. I said, I, if, if, if I was in Branson, I would go see Johnny Cash, you know. <laughs> I don't know what answer he was expecting, but that's what I said. And uh, a couple weeks later, I'm back home, and I get a letter in the mail from, and the return address says House of Cash. And I knew that was Johnny Cash's logo. And uh, it was a handwritten letter from Johnny saying, um, I heard what you, I read what you said in the article, and uh, thank you for the compliment. And then he went on to say, um, I like your voice. And he mentioned a song called Wrong Side of Memphis that I recorded that he loved. And it just was like, it put the stamp of approval on me. You know, the, there are moments in your life, in your career, that you, that, that just awe you. And I, I'm, I'm still that girl. I'm never, I'm not ever gonna be at a place where those kind of things are normal to me. Um, and, and it was just wonderful. So he became that guy that it, when I would run into him at an award show or somewhere, um, I just felt like he had my back. You know, he just, he was just, uh, he was a wonderful guy. What about uh, female country music stars? And there a special influence on you? Yeah, I mean, when I when I was a kid, um, there was an there was an album that was played in my house all the time, and it was a, it was like, twenty five or thirty country hits. It was just every little groove on the album was tiny. It had all these songs on it, but there were two women on the record. It were all the rest of them were all men. So the two the first two women that I listened to were Patsy Cline, and Kitty Wells, and so they were they were my very first influence. Now that led to. Um, the, the two women in country music were Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette. And Loretta, they, they, they used to make this album, they probably still do. Um, it was called The Nashville Sound Plus You, and you could buy it, my sister's probably laughing over there, you could buy this album and you could play it, and it was like, it was basically, it was basically like karaoke before karaoke came into be. And you could sing along with the record. And, um, and so I would buy the female, you know, Nashville Sound Plus You, and um, I'm singing Coal Miner's Daughter, Harper Valley PTA, Jeannie C. Riley. Um, but Coleminer's Daughter was really the one, you know, and uh, over and over again and saying that. So they were really, um, and there weren't that many women, really, that were um, doing it. I mean, Loretta and Tammy in particular, they were the first female artists that really got a, even got a last name. You know, back in the day when they'd have these road shows and they'd take all these guys out, it, you'd be pretty miss whatever. You wouldn't have a last name. So um, Loretta Lynn, uh, and she wrote her own songs, you know, so that was unique. Um, she and Tammy Wynette really, really did open those doors. And then, then Reba McIntyre came along and knocked the doors even wider open. Um, but Patsy Cline, for me, the voice just the power and the emotion. True or untrue, that there was a time not so long ago 
when you sold records and records in effect made the concert business. But now the concert business makes the records. Well, it's true. I mean, it's it's a it's an interesting time. Everything changes and and there are there are good things and bad things about change. Um, the fact that in the last 10 years we've really gone from a from an album format to a single format because of iTunes. When we were kids, you you knew that, you know, Elton John was coming out with a new album and you'd hear the single on the radio and you'd just wait and wait and wait for that day that album came out and you'd go buy it and you'd listen to every song on the album and your favorite song might end up being a song that was never even a single. Well now, kids today don't get that experience because they don't ever hear a whole album. So there are a lot of awesome songs that that artists record for that they know aren't going to be radio important. singles, but they're important for the record. But art, but kids don't, people don't get to hear those. So they don't go to a concert having being armed with all those songs in their head. They only know the one song that they heard that they bought on iTunes or that they watched on YouTube and didn't pay for, you know. And so it's a harder business. It's harder to sell a record than ever before um, because people just don't buy records that way anymore. But I do think the live show is the place where sales are made. I think people go to those live shows, they hear those songs, and then they, they buy the record. And it's just, I think, a, a product of the, the climate changing. You know, it's, it's just changed. And whether one likes it or not, that's the way it is now. Yeah, I mean, I mean one of the things that, that if Garth were sitting here, he would tell you is that one of the reasons that he and I both chose not to sell our, our new records on iTunes, it's, it makes it tougher for us, but we, we want people to buy the album. We want them to hear all those songs, and we want the songwriters to get paid, you know. And so, that the sacrifice in all this is really songwriters. And so, he um, is a part of a company called Ghost Tunes. It's very much like iTunes, but you um, artists can decide. You can sell your songs single by single if you want to on Ghost Tunes, but you can also sell it as an album if you want to. We don't have a say. If you don't own your masters, you don't have a say on iTunes how your music is sold or what you charge for it. Ghost Tunes gives artists a little bit of power back to say, here's how I'd like my music to be sold. And I mean, he, he, you know, I mean, More of our interview with Tricia Yearwood in a moment. Let's talk about regrets. Everybody has regrets. You don't reach 50 years old without having some <laughs> regrets. Biggest regret? Um, Biggest regret, that's a good question. I can't really say that I have, because even the mistakes I've made, uh, you know, they, they take you where you are. You know, I can't say, I can say that I wish I was sitting here talking to you and that I'd only been married once in my life, but but maybe I had to learn what, what didn't work for me to learn what works for me. You know, so maybe I wouldn't appreciate the relationship I have had I not had a fail, failed relationships. So I don't, I don't, I'm not that person who really looks back and, and I can't think of a, a career choice that, um, that went horribly wrong, you know. You mentioned you, you're mother to the three children in the household, but they were Garth's children. Regret not having children of your own? Um, no, I, I was, you know, I, I was not ever, um, I never had that, I never had that moment where I, th you know, thought, I, that urge to have a child. Um, when I married Garth and in, inherited three girls, I was scared to death, you know, because I'd had a dog. I knew how to do that, you know. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with these children. Um, 
luckily they made it easy for me because they're really good girls and they never, I mean, I'm sure every child, I'm not a child of divorce, so I can't speak to their experience. And I, I'm sure that they wish that their parents had not gotten divorced because what kid probably wouldn't wish that. But they, in getting to know me and getting to see he and I together, they, they see an example of, of a loving couple, which is what we want them to see that that's what you, you, know, you want to have in your life. So I regret for them that they, they came from a broken home, but my job is to be uh, a bonus mom, I call it, you know, not a stepmom. Stepmom has a lot of evil connotations. You call it bonus, bonus mom. mom. Um, <laughs> because they have a mom, you know, and so I'm another parent in their life, and that's my, my job. They made it easy. Like I said, they, they were sweet to me, and as our relationship has grown over the past um, nine years now that we've been married and uh, 14 years together, they... They really do, um, they're good, you know, and, and they gave me something that I didn't even know I missed. So I got a chance to be a mom um, anyway, you know, and, and, and so it's been, it's been really good. We talked for two seconds when we got married about having a child. I, I was 41 when we got married, so the ship was sailing, but, um, and I could have, um, but we, we didn't want to have the thing where we, were ha- we had the children every other day, and we didn't want to have a child, and then we have our child, and then the three girls that they go home to their mom, and then they come the next day, and we just didn't want to do that to either, to all those kids. And a lot of people do that, um, but we just we chose not to. Um, but again, it wasn't. If I had had that gnawing, I need to have a baby, I need to have a baby, we would have done it. But but we just, it just didn't happen. Where do you want to go from here? I mean, if you back off what we call on television the wide shot, you've been tremendously successful. Turn 50, where do you want to go from here? If someone ever asked me, you know, where do you see yourself in five years or 10 years? I've never been that girl. I don't have, the, I don't really have a plan. <laughs> it's all, it's always just kind of, I've always just kind of been open to the opportunities as they come, and that's been good for me. Um, I mean, I, I knew, the only thing I knew I wanted to do in my life was be a singer. So my goal for the rest of my life, as long as I have a voice, is that I want to do that in some way. You know, I mean, I, I, have, I have a goal. I, I, I would love to do one thing that I haven't done is I've, I would love to do something on Broadway because I love, I love Broadway and I love musicals and I would love to find a, a little role that I could do. Um, but again, you know, with part of my marriage agreement is that we were together and so I've got to convince the cowboy that we'd, met, we'd have to live in New York for a little while. <laughs> you know, well, maybe so. you could do one. I can see it, the stage play, Prize Fighter. <laughs> hey, maybe so. <laughs> a prize Fighter married to Rope in the Wind. Maybe so. See, maybe you have something there. Well, well I'm going to tell him you suggested that. Um, I would like to do that, but, but really, um, I do have loyal fans who, who seem to be happy when I make new music, you know, and so I want to continue to do that for as long as I can. You've been so generous with your time. I really appreciate you, Trish. Thank, Thank, Thank you very, very Thank much. Thank you very much. When you hit the ground, you find your wings. You go on around when that bell rings. You say you're done, but here you come. You're a hammer hitting spit and fire. And that's the big interview for tonight. We're always eager to hear what you have to say, so please follow us on Facebook and Twitter or send your comments to viewer at access.tv.
Well, that wraps up another fantastic episode of Dan Rather's The Big Interview. Now remember, if you love what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And of course, leave us a review and tell a friend. Thank you for joining us for Dan Rather's The Big Interview, where music and conversation come together.